0: Hello and welcome to the 7-Stage Podcast. I'm Joey Ping, and on today's episode, 7-Stage Admissions Consultants Tahira McCoy, Christy Belknap, Elizabeth Cavallari, and Jennifer Goffrey host a Clubhouse talk about how to stand out as a splitter. In case you're unfamiliar with the jargon, a splitter is someone with a high LSAT score and low GPA, or vice versa. Tahira moderates the panel, asking each consultant to share their insights on helpful strategies that applicants can employ depending on where their LSAT and GPA numbers fall in comparison to a target school's medians. The talk also includes a Q&A with live Clubhouse listeners. So, without further ado, please enjoy.
1: Good evening and welcome everyone. I am Tahira McCoy, but you can call me Taj. I am a professional writer and law school admissions and administration professional. For 10 years, I worked in law school admissions at four schools spanning public and private institutions, including two Jesuit schools, a T14 school, and an HBCU. Most recently, I served as the director of admissions and scholarship programs at Berkeley Law. Currently, I am a Seven Sage admissions consultant and a professional writer. Tonight, we have a fun conversation planned for you. Tonight's panelists, my colleagues, and I represent Seven Sage. For those preparing to apply to law school, Seven Sage offers LSAT preparation, admissions consulting, and editing services. If you visit our website, sevensage.com, you can create a free account which gives you access to some sample lessons, an LSAT prep test, and a hundred question explanations. The free account also gives you access to our discussion forum, where you can ask questions about the admissions process, hear from others who are currently in the process, and learn about other events we have coming up. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is 7admissions with an S at the end. The four of us on the panel are admissions consultants and have worked on admissions teams at various law schools across the country. We're going to be speaking with you tonight about how to stand out as a splitter. So this talk is really for law school candidates still in the process of preparing their application materials or for future applicants who are in the planning stages. There will be time for Q&A for the last 15 minutes or so of the conversation. I encourage you all to ping your friends who may also be interested in this subject matter. And if you're not already a member of 7 Stage, I also encourage you to tap on the greenhouse on your screen. It'll take you to our club page where you can follow us and be notified of upcoming events. So let's go ahead and get started. To each of my panelists, I'm going to call on you one at a time, and I'd ask that you please introduce yourself, share which schools, admissions teams you've served on, and anything else that you'd like to share. And so I'm going to start with Elizabeth.
0: Hi, everyone. My name is Elizabeth Cavallari. For six years, I was the Senior Assistant Dean for Admission at Blaine & Mary Law School. I also have experience in undergrad admissions and graduate admissions.
1: Wonderful. Christy.
2: Hi, my name is Christy Belknap. I practiced law in New York City for 12 years, and for two of those years, I worked as an associate director of admissions at Cardozo Law School. Thanks for joining
3: us. And Jennifer. Hi, everyone. My name is Jennifer Godfrey. I currently reside in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I work in veterinary admissions and teach a law course to vet students, so that's kind of a fun fact about me. I have served four different law schools in pretty much every region in the country. So I'm formerly of University of Idaho, LSU Law Center, University of Arkansas, and West Virginia University. Super happy to be talking with you guys tonight.
1: Wonderful. Let's get right down to it. Elizabeth, what does it mean to be a splitter?
0: So to be a splitter, it means that your GPA and LSAT are kind of different end of the spectrum. So either you have a high LSAT score and a low GPA or vice versa, a high GPA and then a lower LSAT score.
1: Great. Christy, does being a splitter automatically hurt my chances of getting into law school?
2: Not automatically. So you've got to remember that admissions committees are looking at your entire application. However, since you're below one of the You're going to need to demonstrate in some other way why you're a good fit for their law school. And I think you could do that with your written statements, your personal statement, your diversity statement, if you have one, and any other addenda explaining your specific circumstances.
3: Jen, Elizabeth, anything to add? I would totally agree with Christy. I would also say, I mean, it's so hard to kind of go into this process and have, you know, your most confident best self about you. But always remember, I mean, if you're a splitter, you're not below on both accounts. So you are somewhat in a position of strength. And also bear in mind that not every single person reviewing your application materials, so not every single admissions committee member has the same views on splitters or anything else, really. So you always have the opportunity to catch someone's eye who might be reviewing your applications.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. I'm going to stick with you for a second, Jen. Does the answer change at all if I'm specifically trying to get
3: into a T14 school? Somewhat. I mean, I think there's still some validity to the answer so far being that, you know, T14 schools still very much engage in holistic admissions and their committee members are very much independent thinkers as well. However, it can be a much harder road for you at a T14 school because the competition is so stiff. There are very, very many applicants who far exceed their requirements, in fact, more than they have space for. So the competition is going to be a lot stiffer at those institutions, even more so for splitters, in my opinion.
1: Elizabeth, would you like to add anything? No, I don't.
0: I think Jen did a good job answering that question. I think it's helpful to have context in an application particular with splitters, regardless if it's a T14 school or anywhere else in the range of rankings.
1: I think especially, you know, having worked at a T-14 school, the one thing that I would keep in mind is, you know, as a splitter, you know, there's still plenty of space for splitters and and one splitter who has a high LSAT and a low GPA can help to balance out another splitter who has a high GPA and a low LSAT. And so just know that as we're reviewing applications, admissions officers are taking all of that into account. And so- it's not like not having both numbers above the medians kills your chances. You could have both numbers below the medians and still get in. It's a matter of how you package your application and make it something that really paints a clear picture to the admissions committee of who you are, what's motivating you, why now is the right time for law school, and how you're going to contribute to a community. If I have a high LSAT and a lower GPA, are there specific statements that I should consider adding to my application package, Christy?
2: Yes. So if you feel your undergrad GPA doesn't reflect your abilities, you should explain that in a GPA addendum. Was there a reason for the lower GPA? Did you work while you were in college? Did something happen to you while you were in school, like a family emergency? Did you take on more than you could chew and not have the maturity to realize it at the time? I think these are all things that you would want to explain in a GPA addendum and that could help just give some context to why you feel your GPA doesn't necessarily reflect your abilities, your capability in law school.
1: Elizabeth, would you like to add?
0: I agree with that. And I think with any addendum that you would include in an application, there is a really fine line between explanation and an excuse. So I think it's important that when you submit an addendum that people have looked at it, and made sure that falls on the line of an explanation rather than kind of excusing away. Because what you want to portray in your addendum that even if you had a lower GPA, um, that your high LSAT is indicative of your potential. And then your time in law school is going to show that you are at that potential. So just making sure that again your addendum is an explanation, not an excuse. Jen, anything else?
3: The only thing that I would even think of value to add is to make sure that in these sorts of addendum, you should consider the fact that whatever the explanation is that you are giving, that you have tied it together well enough to show that that will no longer be a hindrance for you as a law student. So sometimes when you see these GPA addenda, they will write, you know, applicants may write something That just says, you know, no matter how many hours I put in, I have trouble with getting enough sleep or I have high anxiety and I basically just can't pull it together academically. The end. Okay, so you're going to do that in law school, too, when the stakes are much higher and the coursework is more challenging. So you're not instilling a lot of confidence in them. Sure, you've given an explanation, but you haven't really advocated for your position. That's
1: really helpful. Thank you, Jen. If my undergraduate GPA is low, should I go back to school or spend a couple of years working to improve my chances? I was kind of thumbing through Reddit yesterday just to kind of see how different candidates for law school were answering this question for each other. And I would love to see how admissions officers answer that question. And so I'll go in reverse order this time. And Jen, I'll start with you.
3: Oh, I think it's specific to the person, but honestly, it just depends how poorly the, how poor the GPA was. I always tell students to maximize their educational dollar. So just going back and taking additional undergraduate coursework, hoping to move the needle on a GPA in the grand scheme of things really isn't going to get you anything for the time and money that you spend for those credits. So I say if the student is inclined to continue their education to demonstrate their academic ability, maybe consider a master's certificate level program or graduate certificate level program, something of that nature. But you have to be honest with yourself. Is going back to school right away or continuing your education right away going to result in improved grades? Or do you really need to just take a beaten step back from academics. Now, for me, if an applicant has one or two years of work experience and poor grades, those one or two years won't erase away those grades in the same way as a person who has 15 or 20 years of work experience. But I also think you don't want to keep digging yourself into a hole when sometimes you really do just need that academic break.
1: Anything to add, Elizabeth? I think along
0: with what Jen said, context and the individual applicant makes a difference. So if someone's coming right from undergrad and they had a really tough start, that they switched majors halfway through, hit their stride, and then there's an upward trend, that to me feels less like they may need a break, but more just a GPA addendum really would explain that. Christy, anything
2: else? So personally, I think it's a good idea to work before going to law school, even if you even if you have a strong GPA. I think your successes i mean and if you don't have a strong gpa i think successes at work can be used to demonstrate that you're mature and focused and you've had real life experience in the working world which i think is personally i think is valuable will it erase a low gpa no but you can at least de- at least demonstrate that you have ability to work and succeed and, and you know i think again it's so personal and depends on if you can afford to go back to school. I think you you might consider going back to school to show that you have the focus and maturity to succeed in law school, and that you know a higher GPA in a master's program I think can be a soft factor. Can demonstrate that now you have that maturity and focus,
1: or the family emergency that happened is no longer an issue. I think that's all super helpful, and I would just add, if you are considering doing a master's program, a doctoral program, et cetera, make sure that you're doing it for you and not just to impress a law school. I've seen it happen actually several times in the last few years where someone will start another program, and their their heart's really not in it, so they don't perform well, and now they're trying to apply to law school, and now they've got two transcripts that show that their performance isn't necessarily where it needs to be. And the second time around, it was really because they were just trying to add something else, but it wasn't actually something that their heart was in. If you have another program that you wanted to seek and think that it might help you, just make sure that it's a program that you actually want to see through to the finish line. Leaving a program midway through kind of makes you look flighty. And it's not something that an admissions team would look upon favorably because there would be a concern that that would happen again in law school if it didn't tick all the exact boxes that you were hoping it would. Part of what they're looking for when they're looking at your application is to see this level of readiness, this level of preparation. And so that comes with, you know, kind of thoughtful consideration on your part. And so to get back into our questions, let's look at the reverse if I have a high GPA and a lower LSAT, are there specific statements that I should consider adding to my application, Elizabeth?
0: So this one I think is a little bit tougher because I feel like people want to explain a lower LSAT, particularly if they have a high GPA, but sometimes the circumstances, there's not as many as kind of a lower um, GPA. So I've seen LSAT addenda that includes like a marching band came in, or not came in, but was in like the courtyard as they are practicing and people are taking the LSAT. And so there's kind of like really extenuating circumstances, but often LSAT addendum fall a little flat in my opinion, and they don't provide explanation. Again, some more excusey. Um, but I have seen some where a student didn't do well on the ACT or the SAT, and they provided those scores in LSAT addendum and said, this was my SAT and ACT scores. This was the middle 50% for my undergraduate, but then here was my GPA. So while I scored lower, I feel like the sweat equity I put in is a direct correlation to my grades, and that should be taken into account. So something like that, that fits for me a little bit better as an LSAT um, addenda. But otherwise, I think it's a tricky one to write without a really good reason why.
3: Great. Jen? Uh, 100% agree with Elizabeth. Small thing that I would add is if it is the case that the marching band was right outside the window or you accidentally ran over your cat on the way there, I look for a student to then say what their plan is moving forward to retake the LSAT and demonstrate that they are actually capable of scoring a higher score. And if you've already done that, there's no need for that, right? You're just explaining the low LSAT that you already have on record in comparison to the higher one that you have earned subsequently. But I do think that a lot of times with LSAT addenda, it can't just stop with the reason because if that truly is the only reason, well, then let's have you produce the higher result that you say you're capable of. Christy, anything to add?
2: No, I have nothing more to add. I think they, Jen and Elizabeth, answered the
1: question quite well. Great. Well, then I'm going to keep it on you. And I'm going to say, what if I know that I have difficulty with standardized tests? Do I have to show that by taking the exam more than once?
2: I don't think you have to demonstrate that by taking the exam more than once. If you know that you have, you struggle with standardized testing, you take it once, And as Elizabeth was saying, you can, I think, submitting your SAT or ACT score and showing that your undergrad GPA was much higher because you worked really hard and you're just not great at standardized testing, that one test, one LSAT should be enough. That said, I will say... Most people take it more than once because they figure maybe this time will be different. Maybe that was just a fluke the first time and they have the time to study harder or change something about the way that they studied the first time. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think you don't necessarily have to take it more than once. But I feel like in most cases, people do unless they got the score they wanted the first time.
1: Great. Jen, Elizabeth, anything to add?
0: I agree with Christy. I think you don't necessarily need to, but I think you also want to show the admissions committee that you're really trying. So if you took it once, no, you don't do all standardized tests, switch up your study method, try something different, try a new prep company. And if it still doesn't work, you've done what you can to show the admissions committee that you've gone to lengths to do your best on this test.
1: That's great. I think that would be exactly what I would have added. And when you're looking at different schools' applications, and their instructions, you'll see a lot of times where schools will allow for a separate statement specifically on difficulty with standardized tests. I know that Berkeley has that. There are others. And so they'll let you include that statement and also upload those ACT or SAT scores so that you can kind of show that there is a disparity when it comes specifically to standardized tests. But remember, you want to make sure that you then also show that you had a really strong performance in school that shows that you were more than capable. It's just that the tests aren't reflective of that. So with that, I think we can skip question nine because we answered that. Jen, do splitters have a better chance at admission if they apply early decision?
3: I'd say, I'd say so at certain law schools. So look at it this way. I mean, say... The pool is smaller, just regardless, in, a, in an early decision environment. Rolling admissions is pretty much the norm in law schools. And so that's an opportunity to be the earliest. And I just think that, yes, splitters would have a better position, better chances in early decision.
1: Elizabeth, Christy,
0: anything to add? I think it depends on the type of early admission for the schools as well. I worked at a law school where we offered a significant scholarship for early decision. So for these, we were looking for people with really strong numbers. And so a splitter could have a harder chance being admitted there with scholarship. But I've seen, I guess, anecdotally seen that splitters for when there's early decision and scholarship isn't attached, sometimes there is a better chance of admission there. I was just going to
2: earlier, maybe not early decision, but earlier in the cycle, when the fewest seats in the class have been filled, you have a better chance because your competition is lower and schools can take more risks at that point. Once the classes are substantially filled, like later in the cycle, they'll be looking to shore up their credential goals. So, you know, if you fit within those criteria later on, great that could work out for you but I think your chances get lower as you go later in the
1: cycle I 100% agree with that. Whether you're looking at early decision or just earlier in the pool, I think earlier is always going to be better for a splitter or for someone who's below on both. I think that the hard part is as a head of admissions, your dean, your university, they give you some goals that you have to pursue right at the beginning of the school year. But as the class begins to build, and as time progresses, those goals may change. And we tend to be able to take fewer risks the further along we get. But when, our, when we don't have any seats filled, and we haven't spent any money, those are the opportunities where we really can kind of have more freedom to really pick and choose and to give some chances and some opportunities where maybe we can't later in the cycle, because we're trying to shore up a specific credential to hit a new median number or to hit a new goal that's been set for us. And so for this next question, I'm going to ask Elizabeth, does being a splitter affect my chances for merit-based scholarships?
0: I think being a splitter can affect a person's chances for merit-based scholarships. But as Tahira said earlier, generally splitters are high on one, either GPA or LSAT. So if a school is looking to sure up one of those numbers, often an applicant will still receive a scholarship. But certainly, you know, the higher both can be two or above a median, the more merit
1: scholarship a school will award. Great. Jen, do you have anything to add to that?
3: Yeah, I think just kind of piggybacking on the last part of Elizabeth's answer, I think sometimes a splitter has a really good chance of getting a scholarship at many schools, but it isn't as high of a scholarship. So it does impact the amount, but maybe not the award itself. And this also just goes into that timing of your application. I think we've probably all seen even the person who's above the median on both accounts who might have applied several months later, you can't give a scholarship if you literally don't have it to give. So sometimes the timing of your application also bears a lot into whether you get a scholarship and what the amount is. Christy,
1: anything to add?
2: No, I don't have anything to add to that. I think one thing to remember is once you're admitted, you are, they they want you to come to the school. (laughs) So they want to protect their yield. So, you know, you still have a chance to get merit scholarship. But again, like the others have said, it's probably not going to be as much. You may not have as much leverage. It just depends on who else, you know, they have waiting or who they can risk. (laughs) So I guess it just
1: depends. I think it depends is, is definitely the appropriate answer. And what I would say is, you know, especially when you're applying to a T14 school, just know that for most T14 schools, they're not going to be sending out offers of, ad, of scholarship dollars the same day that they make their offers of admission. Typically, those things are done separately. Typically, it involves a completely separate read of the application. And so it, it can feel like kind of a long, drawn-out process. And how T14 schools maybe prioritize who gets money and when and how much doesn't mean that you can't, that you don't have a competitive application, nor does it mean that you can't really negotiate. Any amount that you receive up during a reconsideration process, make sure that you pay close attention to what scholarship negotiation looks like at the different schools that you're applying to because you can certainly leverage awards that you're receiving from other schools with the school that maybe is your number one choice to try to increase that a little bit. The next question is going to go to Jen. And it is, how do splitters in an incoming class affect a school's medians?
3: Oh, great. This really gives, I think, a good opportunity to explain what we mean about being able to take risks at different points in the process schools being able to take more risk early on versus later on. The risk that we're taking has everything to do with the median and nothing to do with the candidate. A law school will not be offering you admission if they think that it is a risky bet on whether you can actually survive their curriculum. That's that's unethical behavior. So there's no question you can survive, but can that law school's shiny LSAT median or shiny GPA median survive adding you to the pile of the class with your numbers. And so just as Tahira mentioned earlier, splitters don't necessarily really have a negative impact. If you admit one that's a GPA high, you just admit another that is the LSAT high. So, you know, I don't think that it's necessarily a negative thing, but I think it does give us an opportunity to really explain what we mean by risk.
1: Great. Elizabeth, Christy, anything to
0: add? I think that's absolutely right. I think Jen hit the nail on the head.
1: And so Christy, this next one is for you. Does the GPA carry more weight than the LSAT or vice versa? I think
2: Jen and Elizabeth touched on this earlier. In the last question, I really think it depends on the school and what they're looking for. So... It just is a balancing act. So, yeah, I don't think you can. I don't think you can make a blanket statement about whether one carries more weight than the other. For some schools, the GPA might be more important. For others, the LSAT might be more important. Just depending on what the class is shaping up
3: to be. Jen Elizabeth. I've seen it vary with individual reviewers, which of course isn't going to carry the day for the entire institution. But I have had folks on committees in the past who really feel that as long as the LSAT isn't really, really poor... They would rather see a very high GPA and they rely more on that because it shows a lot more about your work ethic in the opinion of those committee members. But I've also, of course, seen those that said the LSAT is the end all to be all and they treat it like it's an IQ test. So (laughs) they rely more heavily on that. So it is going to depend on the institution where they are with their admissions goals, but it will come down at some level. To the individual reviewers as well.
1: Great. So I think we have one more question before we get to the Q&A session. And I'm going to ask this of each of you. And Elizabeth, I'll start with you first. Should I plan to include all possible optional statements if I'm a splitter?
0: I think that answer is no. I think no matter what your numbers are, that every applicant should be discerning about what statements And so I guess when I'm thinking optional, I'm thinking LSAT, addendum, GPA addendum, diversity statement, YX essays. And so I think if a school is asking for a YX essay, no matter who you are as an applicant, you should be filling that one out. But in terms of diversity, LSAT, or GPA addenda, I think that really depends on the individual applicant. Just by simply filling it out, it doesn't make your application stronger. I've actually seen people want to submit everything. And they write some really poor, particularly diversity statements, um, and it actually hurts the application. So being discerning about which optional statements an applicant should submit, whether they're a splitter or not.
1: What if they're like school-specific optional statements, like Penn's core value statement or some of those others that are, that are completely optional, but they are specific to the school and, and offer specific prompts?
0: Yes, though I was probably answering the question the wrong way, or I read it, or listened to it wrong. Yes, I think that an applicant should fill out all of those. If a school is specifically asking for more information from you, you should provide that. Jen, Christy, anything to add?
2: Not really. I, I think though, an optional statement is more of a in, in this instance where you're talking about why I want to go to this law school or Penn score values which is basically why I want to go to Penn it's not optional <laughs> it's, even if you're not a splitter I would say it's more of a requirement to demonstrate that you're actually interested in the school and you took that extra step to explain why you're interested in
3: that school Jen they nailed it I, I have <laughs> nothing
1: <laughs> awesome okay well Lucky, guys, we have a lot of time for Q&A. We've got about 21 minutes. What I would suggest is go ahead and raise your hands if you have a question. I'm going to bring people onto the stage one at a time. Please limit yourself to one question, no follow-ups, so that we can make sure we get to as many people as possible. If we happen to make it through everyone, then please feel free to ask another question. But you can also address them to us on Twitter using the hashtag seven sage on CH, as in clubhouse. And so we can also answer questions there via social media. And so go ahead and raise your hand. I will bring up the first person who is Caroline.
2: Hi, thank you so much. I was just wondering at what cutoff is a GPA or LSAT considered to be especially low? Does a Applicant have to have that statistic be below a 25 to be considered a splitter, or is it more in the realm of like between the 25 and the
0: 50? Elizabeth? I think it depends on the school, but I think generally people kind of see splitter in a 25th percentile. But sometimes when I've looked at applications, a high GPA and even someone a few points below the median still feels like a splitter because their GPA might be where we want it to be, but the LSAT isn't. But in all the files, we're still doing that whole file review. And so for me, the numbers and kind of what percentile they're at doesn't matter to me as much as kind of the focus on where the high might be. I think the only other thing that I might look at would be for GPA, if the GPA is particularly low, like how much time has passed, what the GPA addendum says, and then sometimes for LSAT. There's some correlation that the school I worked at did between LSAT scores and bar passage, so that's something that we would consider in looking at LSAT, but then we've always ta- we've taken chances on people knowing that we might be able to give them some extra support during their time at law school.
1: Awesome. Did that answer your question, Caroline?
2: Yes, thank you very much.
1: Thank you for joining us. Our next question comes from Chelsea.
2: Thank you guys so much for hosting this. I find a lot of value in uh, these talks, so thank you so much. So I'm a splitter, undergrad is below medium, or uh, median uh, GPA of my like goal schools, uh, and I have this added caveat of being an older applicant. By the time I submit my application next year, I'll have 10 years of both civilian and active duty military work experience. So I guess my question is, do you have recommendations for qualities and skills to emphasize on your application, you know, through your writing pieces, uh, based, you know, with those set of experiences based on your experience.
3: Jen. Hi, Chelsea. Thanks for your question. And thank you for your service as well. I think that honestly, military service carries a lot of weight on many law school applications. It is, it, it is really looked upon favorably because of, automatically know the discipline, the work ethic is there in that applicant. And so, especially being that you have so much distance between those professional and military experiences and the undergraduate performance, you would maybe benefit from the briefest of GPA addendums explaining who was Chelsea back when she was an undergraduate as compared to today. And definitely it would ring authentic, and be very believable uh, for a committee.
2: I would just add, from past experience helping someone who was in the military, who had a couple of years of work experience, not nearly 10 years, but maybe two years of work experience, who did not have a lower GPA, but went to school online, felt that he needs to explain why, you know, why he did that why his GPA was reflective. And he, we actually used the GPA addendum to show that he took military courses. You know, he, he was required to take certain classes and excelled
3: at those classes in person. So I thought that was really helpful. So it's
2: not, you've been in the military, I don't know how many years, maybe it's been 10 years, but during that time, have you sat in a classroom? Is there someone who could attest to the fact that you were engaged or an active participant? Yeah, so I think there are other things that you could probably put in that demonstrate your academic capability.
1: How did that help, Chelsea?
2: No, that was incredibly helpful. Thank you guys so much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Again, thank you for the session
1: here. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And again, thank you for your service. We really appreciate it. We are joining Setu. Hey guys, thank you for the club event. Do you have any tips for international students? Someone who has not a formal education in the U.S., I have a bachelor's degree, but that's from India, and I have
0: six years of experience, and I'm now looking to, you know, go to law school. So, do you have any tips and recommendations as an international student, what you should include, and, you know, about anything? Christy?
2: So as an international student, we will receive, or law schools will receive, your transcript from your school. And there is is a way that LSAC will convert your grades. So, you know, it it won't be exact, it won't be a GPA, but it will show, you know, what level you performed at. In addition to that, you said you had six years of work experience. I think. So, yeah. uh, sorry to interrupt that. I have already gone through the transcripts page, and uh, everything is uploaded there. Uh, so, all that is done, and I work as a software engineer. Right. So, I think I think that's great. I think you could show leadership in your in your work experience. Are you concerned about your undergraduate GPA or your LSAT score? Or just one no, Just I was I was just wondering that you know if there is anything that I should include. I, my main concerns were that my work experience, which you know I was graduated in twenty fifteen, and now it's, it's going to be six seven years, so I was concerned with that, that whether that would look bad that I have you know six years of work experience. No, I actually think that's a positive. Um, I would definitely show, however, why you're now turning to law school. Okay, and. My second question is that I'm,
3: I'm very uh, determined on the type of law that I want to practice. into. So should I
1: mention that when I'm filling out my applications that I really want to go into the specific law? That's definitely yeah. something that you can insert within your application. But you snuck in a second question there, said to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. That's okay. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to move us to the next person, and it is Katie. Hi. Hi.
0: I have a question, and that is regarding a specific category of splitters that I feel like is pretty common. So low GPA and specifically students who took like a pre-med or maybe like STEM track that they then left. (laughs) um i've heard conflicting advice about writing an addendum for this um i've heard that you know we should write one because you can see it in the transcript and it'll sound like an excuse for not being able to handle like
1: stem classes
2: and i've heard that no you should write one anyway so i was wondering if you guys had any advice for that specific category of splitters
1: i honestly wonder if if any of us have different answers to this question elizabeth what would you say
0: I feel like I answered this question a few webinars ago where I'm like, no, I don't think you need an addendum if you're STEM or pre-med because we see it in the transcript. However, I think as an applicant, you are the best judge of what you think, what you might be worried about. And if you feel like there's a question on your application that someone reading it might question this, then it's okay to explain it. I don't think explaining that you started off pre-med or in a STEM field and realized it wasn't your passion and then switched to something else that was. I don't think that's saying that you couldn't necessarily handle the coursework. I know as a reviewer, I've never kind of put that kind of judgment on any applicant. People are finding your way and that's something that you do in college. If you're going to do an addendum, I think very short and sweet. But often I can see pretty clearly on a transcript if someone started pre-med and then switched after their first year into something else.
1: Yeah, we totally do have different answers because I would definitely say go ahead and write the addendum because in in my experience, you know, yes, I can guess from your transcript what happened. However, you are the best person to provide context. And if you really want me to understand without a shadow of a doubt, then you've got to give me that answer up front. I can guess if you want me to, you know, I can kind of look through and see what classes you were taking and see how you performed and, and make some assumptions. However, it, it might be that more was going on than just this wasn't my passion or I couldn't get past OCHEM or wh- whatever the case may be. And so, you know, if if you kind of think about those questions that we might have and answer them up front, you're doing us a service by painting a clearer picture for your application. Does that help, Katie? Yeah,
2: thank you so much, y'all.
1: Thank you for joining us.
2: Hi, thank you so much to all the panelists for the amazing advice you've given tonight. I hope this question is one that can be applicable to others here. So I am a splitter with a lower LSAT score. I took the LSAT in August and I'm getting ready to take the October LSAT and I'm wondering if any of you have opinions on if there's any benefit to applying before I take my LSAT or before I get the October score back in hopes that I would be applying early as a splitter and then hopefully not being a splitter when I get those results back or if I should wait to get the results and then apply with a full application after the October LSAT.
3: Thanks. Jen, hi Jesse. I fall into the camp of 100%. Go ahead and apply when you're ready to apply. When you are registered for a future LSAT, there, your application is going to be flagged to all of the programs that you apply to that you have a future LSAT pending, and so most programs they're looking at that and they'll automatically say, well, "I think we might wait on that LSAT score," but it does give you the opportunity to go through the entire processing part of your application. So it's in the hands of the law school and they're able to check all of the things that they need to check and you essentially have your place in line. So sometimes it shakes out to where by the time you're actually assigned for review, that second LSAT score is there anyway and you've skipped the line. So I always say for that particular scenario, go ahead and apply. That's really
2: helpful. Thank you.
3: Awesome. Thanks for joining us. So we are going to try
1: Carla one more time.
0: So, sorry, my phone was across the room, so I was, like, running to oh. get my phone. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but I'm, I'm actually Canadian. I would be a Canadian applica- applicant to Canadian law school, so I'm not sure if you guys would be able to answer my question.
2: But basically, in my first and second year, I kind of went through something very traumatic that really affected my performance in school. And I significantly improved in my third and fourth year. Would you guys recommend me to talk
0: about that in my application? Because most of the schools that I'm applying to look at my best two years. So my last two. I I don't know if my question makes any sense. Your
1: question makes perfect sense. And I'm actually working with a, a client right now who's Canadian. I would say, you know, this is a perfect opportunity where you can kind of write an addendum specifically about those first two years to provide context for the admissions committee so that they have a sense of what was going on and then it also gives you the opportunity to kind of highlight the progress for your second two years and then that way you're addressing it but you're not necessarily highlighting it in an area of the application where typically it's not done the addendum is is the best place for that information Oh okay um, thank you You're welcome thanks for joining us moving on to Rohit hello uh-huh. I had a question about being a GPA splitter
2: and using work experience to offset that. In my senior year of college, I did very poorly and I brought down my GPA. And then in the past years, i worked on Wall Street for two years. And I was wondering, is two years of work experience enough to offset one year of bad college? Christy? So I think you'd want to, I can't say yes or no <laughs> to that, but I, I think what you'd want to do is explain why you went down your senior year was there a particular reason? And if so, I would explain that. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, you don't want to leave the admissions questioning what happened. So it's great that you had two years of work experience, but why did the GPA fall? Like downward trend at the end, I think you'd want to explain. Understood. Thank
1: you. Welcome. Thank you, Rohit. We have time for just a couple more questions. Just as a reminder, you can also pose your questions to us on Twitter using the hashtag 7 on CH. And to give you an idea of what we're going to be talking about in our next couple of sessions on here, my plan is for us to have some of our writers come on and talk about brainstorming specific writing documents. And another one will be a full Q&A session just to give everyone more time to access our admissions consultants and ask those questions you've been dying to ask moving to jessica
2: i was just curious if your gpa improved during college but you don't really have like that big of a reason why maybe the first semester like freshman year wasn't that good like does that get taken into consideration just like improvement over time
3: jen Hi, Jessica. So an upward trend in grades most certainly gets considered and it is looked upon favorably. I would just encourage you to really, you know, take that self-assessment and figure out is there a reason that you're really not giving credit for? Could it have been you really were just Adjusting to being in college. (laughs) You know, really think about, you know, you're sometimes when students say, Oh, well, there really was no reason why I got off to a a slow start. They're thinking of the big stuff, like there wasn't a critical car crash, there wasn't a death in the family. But sometimes, you know, the maturity that you've gained and being in the space that you're in now, think back to Jessica when she was a freshman. Was she shy? Was she homesick? You know, think about those things. And if you're talking over your application with someone, say, if you come on as a client to Seven Sage, we might decide that that doesn't merit an addendum, but at least you've given it the thought and kind of gone through that process of determining whether it would be strategic for your application or not.
1: Great. How was that, Jessica? Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And I am seeing that some of you are starting to follow us on Twitter. Again, our Twitter account is 7admissions with an S at the end. We do definitely have more hands raised than we're going to be able to reach. And so if you tweet us with the hashtag 7sage on Clubhouse or 7sage at CH, we'll be able to answer those for you. Or you can DM us on Twitter that's fine, too. Our next question is from Gabe.
2: Hi, guys. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm... A reverse leader splitter in that I have a high GBA but have a low LSAT. But I have like interesting soft. Like I'm kind of like TikTok famous. So will that <laughs> would that help me like in the application or something like that? <laughs> Thank you.
1: I'm I'm smiling very broadly right now. Elizabeth?
0: I think that's something that you could include on your resume under the personal section. I know that people who've been photographers or actors on the side, like I've gone and looked at people's IMDb sites to see what what they've been in. So I think it does give some color to your application. I mean, certainly I think, you know, the numbers and strong writing are the most important factors, but certainly we're looking for a wide range of experiences in the class and that could add a different element. So I would say include it um, in your resume under the personal section at the bottom.
1: Definitely agree and anticipate that they will come and take a look at your account. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gabe. We're going to do one more question and then anybody else, just make sure to use that hashtag 7Sage on CH for Twitter. Okay, so our last question is going to be from Emma.
2: Thank you for doing this. My question was kind of a follow-up to Jessica's about not knowing whether or not to write that addendum. So say I took a lot more classes than the average student at my school and also took those STEM classes not for just because I thought they would be fun and not even pre-med and they don't look like pre-med. I just thought they were interesting. So is that addendum worthy or is that not addendum worthy?
1: So to clarify, you, you took additional classes that weren't really a part of your major to because they were of interest to you or?
2: So I overloaded classes my senior spring because they wouldn't let me sit through them as just like auditing them, and I really wanted to take them because they sounded interesting. And then my early freshman sophomore year, I took a bunch of STEM
0: classes because I thought they would be interesting.
1: Elizabeth, I'm going to give this one
0: to you. Great, right, thank you. So I think with that question, um, with that, I probably would include an addendum. So if there's classes that you didn't necessarily do as well in, but you chose to overload or kind of push yourself, I think I would include an addendum that you chose to take courses kind of outside your real house because you thought this was the opportunity to explore, understanding that the grades were a little bit lower, but knowing that was part of the process of you figuring out what you like, what your passion is. And so putting it into context. But I think, too, if I were to see classes that didn't kind of fit with the major and lower grades at their higher levels outside of gen ed, I would wonder why someone took them. So I think it would be helpful. But with any type of addendum, try to make it as short and sweet as possible.
1: Was that helpful for you?
2: That was. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for joining us. Okay, everyone. Thank you all so much for joining us this evening. This has been a really great talk on standing out as a splitter. Again, to those of you who still have your hands raised, I'm so sorry that we couldn't get to you here. But if you come to join us on Twitter, our 7 Admissions handle is there and we have our hashtag 7 stage on CH. We're happy to answer your questions. Again, if you haven't already created an account on SevenSage.com, it is free to do so. It gives you access to that discussion forum where there's, there's just such a wealth of really rich information and resources, and you'll be able to hear from other 7sagers as well as our admissions consultants and others. So again, thanks for joining us, and I hope to see you on Clubhouse again soon.
0: Hi, it's JY again. Thank you for listening. As always, if you're studying for the LSAT, applying to law school, studying for your law school exams, or studying for the bar, come visit us at 7stage.com. We can help. That's it for this episode. Take care of yourself and see you next time.